Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Men's hearts wait upon us. Men's lives hang in the balance. Men's hopes call upon us to say what we will do. I summon all honest men, all patriotic, all forward-looking men to my side. God helping me, I will not fail them, if they will but counsel and sustain me. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Before we bring you Edwin Arnold as Mr. President, I want to point out that there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of Americans who have become the leaders of our country. Their deeds are direction pointers for the American mind. People today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting, and inspiring facts about the lives of their former chief executives. That's why Mr. President has rapidly caught the attention of people everywhere. For here is the program that presents human intimate anecdotes and incidents in the careers of our presidents, woven into the rich tapestry that is the American heritage. And you, as the listener, enjoy the additional thrill of trying to identify the president in the story being told. So test your knowledge of the men who have lived in the White House by listening now for today's fascinating Mr. President story. Now, in just a second, Edward Arnold. about to hear a story of a man and an ideal. There is success in it, and there is failure. But the failure was not the man's, for he did not fail the world, the world failed him. He was a great president, but more than that, he was a great citizen of America and of the world. Listen closely to this story that happened in Washington a few years ago, and see if you can tell who the president was. The long war had ended, and the nation was jubilant. Mr. President. Oh, it's you, Chambers. It's you. It's time to start for Congress. Listen to those people and look at their faces. How wonderful is the reflected light of peace on the faces of a populace. Hmm? That's a great occasion. Uh, May God help me. May God help all men everywhere to keep this world at peace. You know what I'm going to say to Congress today? Why, that the war is over. Yes, but I'm also going to say that bitterness must be forgotten, that the conquered must be treated with humanity that to conquer with arms is to make only a temporary conquest. To conquer the world by earning its esteem is to make a permanent conquest. Mr. President, as a member of your cabinet, I must protest. You'll jeopardize your entire political future. Read the letters that are coming in from all over the country. I've been reading them. Why, the people are saying that we ought to keep our armies marching right to their capital, that we ought to cripple the enemy to the point where they'd never be able to start anything with us again. I know what the letters say. 
But I must make the people see that it is not enough just to win a war, but you must win the peace as well. Uh, peace is one with understanding and compassion. Enemies or not, they are still human. They have lain their loved ones to rest and wept over them. Their girls have cried like ours. Their mothers, too, have closed the door on rooms that will never again hear the sound of the son's voice. They, too, have prayed for peace. You're asking for mercy for a country that has murdered millions of our blood. I ask for mercy for us as well as them. I ask for mercy for sons still in their cradles and girls yet unborn. We told our sons if they died, the world would be made safe for the ones that followed them. I do not intend to break faith with the dead. And if we take too much, our enemies must of necessity rise and fight us again. And that's what I intend to say in Paris. You intend to say that in Paris? Paris? You can't be thinking of leaving the country, Mr. President. Why, no president has ever done a thing like Each that. Each term in office brings its own problems. Each man must make his own decisions about breaking precedents. I'm going to Paris to the peace conference. I shall meet with the representatives of other nations, and I shall ask them to establish a League of Nations where the problems of the world can be solved around a conference table instead of on a battlefield. Doctor, come in, come in. Mm-hmm. Just about what I expected. Have you any idea at all what time it is? No. What time is it? Almost dawn. Really? What on earth are you doing up? Looking out for you. Or trying to. You land tomorrow, you know. You said you were going to get a good night's sleep. Well, I had a lot on my mind. Mr. President, as your physician, I must warn you. You're going to have to get more rest, or I can't be responsible for the consequences. Now, I want you to get to bed. See, here, you're addressing the President of the United States, Doctor. <laughs> Don't try pulling your rank on me, Mr. President. Bed is the place for you. <laughs> all right, Doctor, all right. I'll be good, and I'll rest when I get to Paris. I'll bet you will. <laughs> Mr. President, the people of France consider it a pleasure and an honor to receive you. Thank you, Monsieur Clemenceau. I consider it a pleasure and an honor to be here. Already in Paris for the conference are the representatives of 27 nations. Signor Orlando has already arrived from Italy. And Mr. David Georges will be here from London any day now. Well, I should like to meet them both before the conference for a preliminary discussion. That can be arranged. Uh, perhaps in the meantime you would like to visit the battlefields where your countrymen fought so brave. No, no, I... I don't want to visit the battlefields until after the conference. I don't want to be swayed by emotion. I know, no matter what my resolves, that I, I would find it very difficult to stand on those battlefields and then attempt to deal fairly with that country. Mr. President, you and I are at odds on this question. I don't believe that generosity will make secure the peace that we have fought so hard to win. What security do you believe in, Monsieur Clemenceau? Military power and only military power. I see. Well, I shall do my best to change your mind. France is an old nation, Mr. President, if you will forgive me, much older than yours. We have learned through the centuries that the cannon speaks louder than the human voice. But this is a new century, Monsieur Clemenceau. And this is a smaller world. 
Now, this is a civilization that can destroy itself if it keeps on fighting. Men have always fought, Mr. President. They always will. I don't believe that. Do you intend to go along with me on the League of Nations idea? I do not believe it is a practical idea, Mr. President. But you are not completely opposed to it. No, we are not completely opposed to it. Well, then, perhaps I can convince you. You represent a large and powerful nation, Mr. President. Perhaps you can. French press claims United States president blocking the security of France. Extra, extra. Extra, extra. Peace conference moving slowly. Italian press claims Italy being cheated by America. Extra, extra, extra. Extra, extra. Small nations complain about trend of peace conference. Extra, extra. Disposal of German colonies taken up tomorrow. Extra, extra. Gentlemen, I hold to my original statement about the colonies as is laid forth in the fifth point of my 14 points. But the people of France are entitled to reparations. We need colonies. Germany has no longer any right to colonies. England has proved that she understands how to govern. Italy has need of colonies. Why is it that over and over Italy is being ignored in East Scotland? Italy is not being ignored, nor is France or England or any of the others. But the thing to determine is what the people in the colonies want and what all the peoples of the world favor. If there is to be a peace among men, you can't cut up nations and territories and give them to any other country that happens to hold the upper hand. You fight for hard bargains, Mr. President. I fight for fair bargains. Mr. President, I tell you, you've got to get some rest. Oh, I'll rest later, Doctor. Look at this article from tonight's paper, headed France's Claims. <laughs> Is there no end to the claims of France and the claims, claims, claims of the rest of the world? Stop worrying about the world and worry about yourself for a change. Go home, sit out in the sun, sleep, eat, act like a human being. The territorial demands of all the European nations are beyond reason. Go home, forget about it. Ah. <sighs> Well, maybe I will go home. What? Yes, that sounds like a good idea. I would like some sun, some sleep. I'm going to take your temperature right now. Yes, I, I think I'll order the Secretary of the Navy to prepare to sail for home. Mr. President... Is it true that you are leaving for America? Well, I have ordered the ship made ready, Monsieur Clemenceau. Is it as has been inferred because you consider my country and the others uh, too high in our territorial demands? Monsieur Clemenceau, my patience is at an end. There seems to be nothing to be gained from further discussion. Everyone is thinking about the good of themselves and no one is considering the good of the world. But, Mr. President, you must not leave the conference. There will be a reduction in territorial demands. Thank you, Monsieur Clemenceau. You are a hard man to deny and to defeat, Mr. President. 
We are practical men, a little tired, more than a little cynical, I am afraid. Naturally, we are trying to make the best possible bargain for our own country. You come among us with your eyes on a vision. Since we have not seen this vision, it is difficult for us to share your enthusiasm. I wish you could see it. Monsieur Clemenceau, if the powers were allowed to annex all the helpless countries and colonies in the world, then that would immediately discredit any League of Nations that was set up. Because people would say we divided up the world and then set up the League for selfish purposes to back that up. Do you really believe this, this dream of yours will come to pass? I do believe it. My friend, I have fought with you on many points. Perhaps I shall fight with you on many more before this conference is concluded. But I respect you and I like you. I have never met a man before with so much faith in humanity. I hope, I pray, that you live to see that faith justified. Mr. President, France will support you on your demands for a League of Nations. Well, Mr. President, finally our labors are over, eh? Yes, finally. Tomorrow we go to the Great Hall of the Trianon Palace here in Versailles. It will be an historic moment. Yes, the ceremony is all arranged. The delegates of the 27 nations will stand and the six members of the enemy delegation will march in and take seats at a table facing Monsieur Clemenceau. And you will hand them the book containing the peace treaty and they will study it. And no one will ever fully realize the labor and discussion and achievements and disappointments it represents. Well, no one is completely happy with it. It is a compromise for everyone. Germany will say the terms are harsh. The Italians have already withdrawn, believing the terms are not severe enough. France is disappointed, I know that. It is not that so much, Mr. President. It is that the League offers a means by which Germany may get out of the terms imposed by the treaty. No, no, not necessarily. It merely means that there is a court of appeal to which they can make an appeal. But making it and getting what they ask for are two different things. They can't do any better than the nations of the world want them to do. You're not completely satisfied, are you, Mr. President? No, because some of the terms I've had to accept are in opposition to what I believe. But I can at least go back to my country with a great gift. The League of Nations has been agreed to by the European powers. There is hope now of a lasting peace for all mankind. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. How much do you know about the Damon Runyon Cancer Fund? Did you know, for instance, that it was founded only two days after Runyon's death? and that already it has allocated close to $3 million to the fight against cancer. This organization, operating on a no-expense, no-overhead basis, has supported institutions all over the country in the fight against the most dreaded of modern diseases, cancer. There isn't a section of the country that hasn't benefited from the funds collected by this great organization. And that means there isn't an American who doesn't owe the Damon Runyon Cancer Fund his thanks for the greater protection against this terrible scourge. What greater tribute to a great man could there be than this living tribute of service to mankind? Just send your dimes or your dollars 
to the Damon Runyon Cancer Fund, care of the New York Mirror, New York City, 17. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. You've probably guessed who the president was when all this happened, because it really did happen, you know. The president returned to America with the lines of his long struggle etched on his face. But he returned proudly, bearing a dream set down in glowing, hopeful words, signed by the nations of the world. He asked the Senate to ratify the treaty, and words came blazing back at him. By entering the League, we will be bound in the sordid, cunning, secret, and crafty designs of European and Asiatic governments. The country's blood and its bone would become endeared for all time. Why, gentlemen, the membership of the League could comprise 15 white nations and 17 black, brown, yellow, and red ones. The white populations represented would be outnumbered on a scale of nine to one. How would America dare put herself in such a position? Article 10 of the Covenant of the League of Nations promises the use of force, if necessary, to restrain aggressors. Why, gentlemen, if we ratify this, our military forces could be called abroad at any time. This calls for discussion, and mighty serious discussion. Mr. President, I just left a Senate meeting. The Senate is not going to ratify your treaty. It took 16 weeks in Paris to draft that covenant. So far, the Senate has taken 36 weeks in debating whether it should be ratified. Uh, They've drafted a set of reservations to be added to the treaty. And I suppose the reservations all serve to nullify the treaty. I'm afraid they do, Mr. President. It's Mm -hmm. too bad. The President literally almost killed himself in Paris working for that treaty. I know, Doctor. You can see it in his eyes. Oh, stop it, both of you. I can still show both of you a few tricks. Doctor, how would you feel about taking another trip? Oh, no. You're not going on any trips. You're going to stay right here. Why? Go take a look in your mirror. You'll see why. Oh, nonsense. I I probably just need a new tonic. Where would you be thinking of taking a trip to? Oh, maybe a tour of the United States. A tour? You mean a speaking tour? I believe if I can make the people understand what the League is all about, they will bring sufficient pressure to bear on the Senate to get that treaty ratified. Mr. President, if I told you that taking this trip at this time in your state of health might mean your life, would you still insist on going? Yes. Well, all right. I'll go pack my bags. Mr. President, if you do this, your opponents will speak wherever you do. And try to undermine you. They've discussed just this possibility. Let them try. I have confidence in the people. All I ask is a chance to speak to them. My friends, if I were to state what seems to me the central idea of this treaty, it would be this. Nations do not consist of their governments but consist of their people. That seems to us in America to go without saying. But it was never the leading idea in any other international congress that I ever heard of. 
you will notice that even the territories which are taken away from Germany, like her colonies, are not given to any others. I want to call your attention to the central machinery of the League of Nations. If any member of that League or any nation not a member refuses to submit the question at issue to discussion by the Council, there will be no trade with that nation by any member of the League. There will be no interchange of communication by post or telegraph. There will be no travel to or from that nation. Its borders will be closed. It will be hermetically sealed by the united action of the most powerful nations of the world. Some gentlemen say, it is not our business to take care of the world. No, but it is our business to prevent war. And if we don't take care of the weak nations of the world, there will be a war. I would like to get together the boys who fought in the war. And I would stand before them and say, boys... I told you before you went across the seas that this was a war against wars. And I did my best to fulfill that promise. But you are portrayed. You fought for something you didn't get. And there will come some time another struggle in which not a few hundred thousand fine men from America will have to die, but as many millions as are necessary to accomplish the final freedom of the peoples of the world. feel? Oh, a good night's sleep will put me right up on top again. You've covered half the nation. Isn't that enough? Oh, they're with me too, aren't they? The ones that have heard me, aren't they? Yes, there's no doubt about that. But you're one man. You can't speak in every city in the country. Ah, it takes time. It takes time. And, and time grows short. Time grows short. Let's go home. No, not quite yet. Don't think I'm not grateful to you, Doctor. I know what you've done for me. It isn't what I've done. Worrying about you is making an old man of me. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I'm fine. Let's stop someplace and rest a few weeks. This trip gets more and more dangerous for you every day. Well, it was more and more dangerous in France as the boys got closer to the front lines, but they went on. They went right on towards the danger. It was the only way to win a war. It can't all have been for nothing. The war, the dead. The struggle with Clemenceau and the rest in Paris. I won't let it have been for nothing. Where's the next stop? Pueblo, Colorado. Doctor! What is it? The president. Hurry, he's had a stroke. I'll wait my case. I was afraid of that. I'll go to it. You tell the conductor to take this train straight back to Washington. Well, doctor. Ah, stay quiet. Don't try to move about. Oh, good night's sleep will fix me up again. You're going to have it. 
I've ordered the train back to Washington. Are you under the impression that you're the president of the United States? No. Just acting for the president. <laughs> ah, it's too bad. It's too bad. I wanted to reach more of the people. You reached millions. And all the ones you reached will talk to others. You'll get your League of Nations, Mr. President. I'm afraid uh, not in my lifetime, Doctor. No. Not in my time. But in God's time it will come. The day will come when the nations of the world will sit around a conference table and wars will be a thing of the absolute past. For it is written, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not rise against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Well, I'm sure you figured out by now who the president was when all that happened, because it really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. On the first broadcast of ABC's Sunday evening program, Carnegie Hall, a dedication was made, one that has been continued on every broadcast. goes like this. This program is dedicated to America, an island of freedom. Here alone in all the world are found opportunity and liberty, tolerance and respect for the dignity of man. These are American things, and it is our privilege to tell of them in music and song to reaffirm our faith in our country. The music on Carnegie Hall is directed by Dr. Frank Black, and the announcer director is Gene Hamilton. So don't miss a single Sunday night broadcast of Carnegie Hall, heard over most of these same ABC stations. And now here again is Edward Arnold. into the station, Mr. President. Thank you, Doctor. Think you can manage? Oh, yes, yes. I can walk through the station. You know, Mr. President, someday all of those millions who heard your words on this tour will be able to say, as Clemenceau said in France, once I saw the light of a vision on a man's face, and I heard the notes of prophecy in a man's voice. And that man was the 29th President of the United States and the father of the League of Nations, Woodrow Wilson. Yes, it was Woodrow Wilson who fought so gallantly for the League of Nations and who prophesied the coming of the Second World War. He was indeed a great citizen of America and of the world. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another exciting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Goodbye.
Edward Arnold can currently be seen in the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer production, Command Decision. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reed. Today's story by Gene Holloway was based on incidents in the life of President Woodrow Wilson. Music was composed by Basil Adler. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.